a study came out uh, a couple months ago in PNES, which passed me by, which is not unusual because I don't typically read PNES, but this was one which was on nudging. And I never knew that nudging actually has <laughs> another name, which is called choice architecture. Did you know that, James? Jesus. Oh, people will come up with a euphemism for anything, won't they? Choice architecture? Um, what about what about bespoke behavioral modification? Artisanal, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is new because I, I saw this. Art, 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 artisanal non-coercive control. And you can get some wanky acronym out of it as well. Okay, so, so maybe with, that's you, I with it. your bespoke behavioral McFuck. Go on then. What happened? Yeah. So th- this was this is just a, a meta-analysis in uh, PNAS, and it was about uh, choice architecture or nudging. And if you're not familiar, this is something which changes, uh, which aims to change behaviour by redesigning the physical, social, or psychological environment which people make while preserving their freedom of choice. So we have this meta-analysis which was published, and uh, their main conclusion is that choice architecture or nudging is an effective and widely applicable behavior change tool now this would this would be fantastic if this was actually true there's a lot of stuff which a lot of public health stuff which you could improve if <laughs> nudging if, if, if nudging worked and look I, I really would love for this kind of stuff to work um, and this sort of conclusion suggests that yeah we have some um, some pretty strong evidence here I think from memory Cohen's Cohen's D or the summary effect size was 0.4 which is Pretty sizable for for psychological intervention. Um, <laughs> looking at the meta analysis, there was some very large and suspicious effect sizes for, for some of the individual studies. But anyway, uh, the reason how, that I can how put, large, Daniel? Uh, let, let's have how a look. How large were these individual effect sizes? Some of these effect sizes, uh, if we look at Figure Two. We're talking around some of them are around three um, balls. So balls. I would I would say at least balls maybe two 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 percent two percent or about five percent were at least above two, and there was there seems to be at least four studies which were above three. So yeah, that is nonsense. that is quite that is quite large, and nonsense. the reason yeah that is if, nonsense that that. The, the the research is incorrectly conducted, the analysis is incorrectly conducted, or the effect size is incorrectly calculated. That is yeah. not plausible. It well, is not. We're not. Well, that that's probably true. We're not talking about that today. But um, the, the reason it's come up, <laughs> <laughs> the reason we we, we, we so, so I'm sure somebody can can re look at these effect sizes. The reason that this came up on my radar was that um, there was, I think there was at least two, maybe more, but there was at least two teams of people that reanalyzed or re-looked at this data uh, because the conclusions were, were quite strong. And one of these papers, one of, the, one of these letters was, um, w- was written by a Maximilian Meyer um, who concluded that there's no evidence for nudging after adjusting for publication bias. When you look at the original study posted in PNAS, uh, the authors actually say, hey, yeah, look, there, there, there might be some publication bias here, and using one particular method, perhaps these effect sizes are much, much smaller. But when you look at the funnel plot, when you, expun- when, when, when you uh, examine the funnel plot, it doesn't seem like there's any problems. We can move along. So, my 
gut feeling is what happened here is that at least one of the reviewers said, hang on a minute, you need to take a much closer look at this to see whether there was publication bias. They did. They ran the analysis. They found that, yeah, the, the publication bias- was publication bias and got on with their lives anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So, this was, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll post links both to the original and also to the letter, which, which reanalyzed it and found that once you actually account for publication bias uh, using robust meta-analysis, which is a fantastic tool, the effect sizes, um, let's see, uh, 0.1, 0.2, 0.1, 0, 0. Um, th- this is looking at some of the other uh, subdomains of nudging, uh, 0.8, 0, 0.12, 0.1. Yeah, y- you get the drift. Things are very, very small once you account for publication bias. So, yeah, look, I think this is interesting because it's a nice demonstration that it's very easy to reanalyze published meta-analyses because the data is public. It's all there. And it just shows you how much sort of progress that we would make if all data was out there because then people can kind of go, hey, your conclusions are, are, are pretty out there. Once you actually reanalyze the data, this probably isn't as strong as you think. But at least with meta-analyses, we can go back and revisit this kind of stuff and do these analysis and go, hey, you've, you've, you've probably overstated your claims. Mm. Look at you, you know, you're forcing, me, you're forcing me to say something nice about meta-analysis. I can't believe you've put me in this position. This, this um, was my goal. Okay, I'm just- 158 I'm just, episodes. I'm just going to- Shut up. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And the fact that- these, it's not simply the fact that the data is obviously transparently available. It's the fact that it is presented within a framework whereby analytical decisions must be defended. So it's not just the fact that there's uh, the data that's there. It's the fact that even amongst people who are, let's say, somewhat credulous, there is an expectation that how bias is calculated, what measure of effect size is used, uh, what funnel plot alone means and all that good stuff, that there will be a robust discussion of methods around which this data is being assembled. Um, Now, robust meta-analysis is a Bayesian technique, which I am reasonably unfamiliar with because learning about meta-analysis gives me hemorrhoids. So, can you tell everyone who is also probably unfamiliar with it a little bit about how it works? So, robust meta-analysis uses a variety of different publication bias techniques, um, model selection, pet peeves, and looks at the data to actually see what sort of model best explains the data at hand. And using robust uh, robust meta-analysis, you can actually see, okay, um, there is evidence for publication bias or, or, or evidence for no publication bias, and you can quantify that. In this particular reanalysis, they found for most of the sub-analyses, there was 10 times more evidence for publication bias or models for, for, for the publication bias models compared to the ones which did not have publication bias. And using this method, you can also calculate a publication bias adjusted effect size um so it's a really good way i think one of the one of the limitations of robust meta-analysis is you can't do so-called three um multi-level meta-analysis so that is basically meta-analyses which 
include effect size, which include multiple effect sizes from single studies, and they acknowledge this. But assuming that there's one mm. effect size from a study, you can run this and you can quantify is there evidence for publication bias, and you can also produce an effect size which accounts for publication bias. So you're killing two birds with one stone. Good lord. Um. Well, it wasn't a particularly technical explanation, but it was a good one. Um, it's 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 always interesting to think, isn't it, um, that we're still here talking about this. I mean, everyone has that thought all the time. When when something comes becomes passe to you, there's absolutely no guarantee that anyone else noticed or that anyone else cares or that anyone else drew the same implications from it as you. And I, I had that thought when you, it's a very, very limited contact with the thing that you're talking about and it just sort of flew mm. by me. Um, so I'm glad you've read it in detail or it would make a shit topic for an episode. <laughs> but the, th- the, thought, the thought that I immediately had was, was really straightforward and it was, it's amazing to me that we're still talking about this because... The whole pantheon of cute, appealing effects that allow us to have broad-based control over human nature and the houses of cards that all these people have built for many, many years, so many of them have been kicked over. Now, I've never read anything particularly focused about nudges. Um, my, my primary... Uh, the, the thing that I probably know the most about um, let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. is the date. No, shut up. Um, do you remember? Do you remember David Cameron, the PM from the UK? Yes, yes. He had a behavioural insights team. I do remember this. Um, that 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 he set up in politics. The nudge going unit. They're going to go around nudging. They're going to, yeah, so they're going to go around nudging everything. Um, and I, I remember um, reading about uh, just the utterly moribund effects that, <laughs> that it ended up having. Um, it, 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 it was one of those examples where I can see people, I can see especially uh, economists and social scientists and, and other people with head injuries, I, I can see them getting so excited about being able to solve a final mile problem. You know, we actually, we've understood the human natures. We have a framework for being able to interfere with the human natures. Maybe there's only a few percentage in it. But we can do something good, you know, with an extra screen in a user interface or a notice on a bus shelter or a sign next to a busy highway. We can just do a little nudgy nudge and, we have such infinite capacity to be able to change human nature. Just what a fucking pillix promise that was in the, exactly the same way all the other things ever have been. Um, and it's very dangerous to think that because it's passe for me, then I guess everyone else is over it as well. So, you know, because the thought that you immediately have after why are people still talking like talking about this is oh god a bunch of allegedly fancy people published this allegedly fancy paper 
in this allegedly fancy journal. I mean, there's still people who think that PNAS is a journal rather than sort of a, (laughs) you know, historyed aggregate toilet. (laughs) And I don't don't mean to be too harsh about it as an outlet, honestly. I'm just frustrated being unpleasant because it's 4,000 degrees today. So... You know, I'm sitting on the surface of the sun. Just allow me a few <laughs> verbal ticks, okay? Um, it's and that you when you when you have that second realization. Oh, there's still people who take it seriously, and you realize just how big these gaps can be. You know, between what we think is the sort of contemporary reality of just how moribund uh, so much of the research in this vein, the big idea with the big interface. You know, but to me, this always just seemed like priming Mark II, Return of the Prime. <laughs> and I think it's reasonably well established how much faith I have in that by now. So, I mean, it's okay, really. I, it, you should expect people to represent their own interests, shouldn't you? You should expect as someone who's done 25 years worth of research on fiddle faddle to continue to pay strong attention to the fiddle faddle. You don't expect them to change their mind. But the irony there is you don't expect them to change their mind because it's human nature not to, and that's what they're fucking studying. (laughs) (laughs) Nudging doesn't work. I'm sorry, I don't... No, it's... I don't don't know... We we can't nudge. You're even able to, like, sum it it up as simply as that. It's more more the fact that if it did work a lot of the time, I'm not sure how you'd measure it often if it if it actually did um especially some something that's born of studies that are very small it feels like if you're really seriously interested in testing it then you need sort of google facebook scale data you know um although facebook tried something like that quite some time ago and got in an enormous amount of trouble for <laughs> doing <laughs> research without consent and the way the, the, the observations were structured and powered. So maybe that's not even true in and of itself. What else did you want to say, Daniel, before I just ramble us all to an early grave? Isn't that um, – because I know a couple of countries have done this thing where they make organ donation opt out rather than opt in and that has increased like – huge amounts by organ donation is is that a nudge intervention or is that I, i'm not sure because i know that's one thing which there seems to be a lot of evidence behind and it's, it's very black or white just to, to, to see to look at actual percentages uh, in, in a lot of countries where it's opt-in i think the rates are around 20 to 30 percent where in the countries where it's opt-out i think it's, it's as high as 80 percent that's 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 pretty good so i think there are some I circumstances i don't think I don't think that relies on you changing your behavior through a gentle suggestion, Dan. I think the, the lesson there is that generally when presented with a categorical choice by the government, people in general do what isn't being implied that they're told because there's a way in which they don't really give a shit. And you it's easier to think about- You still can't opt out. Yes, but you're, you're not you're not being nudged. The decision's being made for you. Yes, it's like if you were going to if you were going to donate to a cha- if you're going to donate to a charity and there's a pre-filled form, there were two boxes, <laughs> right? And and one said one said you're going to give ten dollars and one said you're going to give a hundred dollars, and the thing's already checked. Yes, but you could write your own thing in underneath it, 
and you mail those to tens of thousands of people. And you're like, oh, the, the, the average giving in the $100 group was higher. Well, I don't think that's a nudge. I think that's measuring your resistance to someone else making a decision for you. And I think the whole point behind this sort of behavioral insight Malone is that it's substantially more subtle than that. Mm. I think they're sort of categorically different. I mean, you've got the study there. You're the one who's actually informed for once. Who am I kidding? You're usually <laughs> the one who's actually informed. But like, give us give us an example of like what's pick pick one of these things with a gigantic effect size. We've got the internet. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. Okay. Um, all I have, I don't have individual studies for the effect sizes. I just have- surely they're surely they're cited. Just just pick one out of the maybe okay. one that starts with C. Come on. <laughs> okay, let's have a look. Maybe this is one of those journals which doesn't let you actually cite studies included in your meta-analysis, and I wouldn't be surprised because- Oh. Don't you know? Don't you know this, James? PNAS have never done anything else interesting. <laughs> there is a number of journals which do not let you um, because you would be you would be increasing their their, their, their page sizes. Uh, look, this is this oh, is not making. Got to be fucking. Yeah. So, me. so these. I'm, you, I'm looking. Are you serious? So I'm looking through the. I'm looking Can't through the references. Can't you just attach it as an appendix or something? You would you would think so. So I'm looking you're through the references. You're preventing the ability that you. Sorry, Dan. If you're citing, if you're citing, the effect size of a paper, you've calculated something from that paper. Yeah. And you've made a decision to include that paper because it's categorically appropriate for what is being meta-analyzed. How is it okay to not cite it? I'm sure it's in a supplement. Um, You're but- referring to it yeah. directly with a number. <laughs> it's, it, is, it is definitely is in a supplement. Is that not worthy of some form of citation? I think there's over 300 studies That's here. That's absolutely... That's absolutely that is fucking clown behavior. If that's actually the case, James, do you know actually, a list of journals? This this does well. A, a, a lot of journals do this, but this does actually bring us to to our next topic, which is um, uh, la- last Didn't episode. Even know we had a next topic. I'm still there, angry there is, about this. There is a next topic, and I'm, 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 it's going it's to make a lot of sense very soon. We had a last episode, oh. and we briefly we briefly spoke about word counts, and you said, James. No one wants to hear about word counts. No one wants an episode about word counts. But James, do people ever want an episode about word counts? Here's, here's a tweet from um, from former guest, friend of the show, Daniel Larkins, and he specifically says, <laughs> "I can see the look on your face. Maybe we should re- maybe we should post this exact video." <laughs> and Daniel Larkins says, "I want you to talk about word counts." <laughs> oh, and, and here's a link with Panias Hook. I want you to talk about word counts. Hook, how the Psychological Science Accelerator published in the, <laughs> published in the horrible low-quality journal PNES that had ancient word count limitations. <laughs> that in- <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd like that. That had ancient word count limitations that include author names. So, this was a study, uh, Psychological Science Accelerator, a fantastic initiative, and they often have studies with um, a huge number of authors because that's what you need to do big science. Anyway, they had limitations to do which include author names. multi-site replications and things. Yeah, you, you need to have lots and lots of different people working on lots of different studies in lots of different places sometimes. Um, yeah, that's how it works. You know. 
So and this particular th- those, study, those themselves are teams of people. Right. Yeah. Okay. So sorry, they, had, cool. they had a they had a bunch of, of, of authors, and um, the authors the, the authors were the authors were so long. This would take out the six out of the twelve pa- twelve pages which PNES allows you. So <coughs> PNES um, doesn't go by d- d- doesn't go by word count. It goes by pages. Um, I know this. I've tried submitting stuff there, much to my frustration. And you have to put stuff in within the the page count limit, not necessarily word count limit, and that page count limit includes author names. So what they had to do was because the authors would take up six pages out of the 12, they had to do a group authorship instead. And um, this sort of thing, as Daniel mentioned in his tweet, hurts many authors. A lot of authors, um, despite uh, PNES (laughs) being a uh, low-quality journal um for a lot of people it is it, it's great for their cv it is great to actually say hey i published i, I co-authored a piece in this particular journal which 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 some people highly regard except for these particular co-authors they weren't able to do that it had to be a group a group authorship which did hurt many authors because they were limited so this is a great example of how word counts or in this case page counts can hurt people and this is something I never considered. I never actually considered how this would affect team science, particularly stuff like the Psychological Science Accelerator or like the other the huge sort of studies that you see, which include like 40, 50 plus labs. I saw, I saw a great study which came out a couple of days ago, which looked at motherese. Could, could, or- could you imagine, Dad, could you imagine the Higgs boson paper going to PNAS? There's just 12 pages of just author authors. names right to the bottom <laughs> in, in six-point font. And then an abstract that just says, "We found the we little f- bastard." <laughs> we found, we found it, we found it. <laughs> that, that's how it is, and that that's bloody ridiculous. Like, we're, we're not dealing with the printing press here. This isn't this isn't this isn't eighteen ninety where we have to think about the, the the cost of printing. It's bloody two thousand and twenty two. Yet we're still limited by page counts or, or author counts, or there's no flexibility to include. These, these these long author lists, which is the sort of stuff that we need in order to actually do good science or to, 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 to replicate these so-called findings, re- re- replicating nudges, for instance. But we can't do it in, in, a, lot, in a lot of these journals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 12, 12, pa- 12 pages of nudge replicating authors that ends with, uh, yeah, sorry. We didn't find it. Uh, no, wasn't 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 there. Um, it was interesting. Um, people often talk to me about things that we've recorded, usually quite nicely, um, which I'm always very grateful of, um, that people, unless they're leaving iTunes reviews, rarely lead with, um, both of you are unpleasant and uninformed. Um, (laughs) but I, they didn't agree to be named, but I had some version of this discussion two separate times. And we were talking about limitations in the last episode. And my aggregate, my aggregate response that I, I got was, like many other things that are within the, uh, the, the, the pantheon of anything that is measured becomes a target and ceases to become a good measure, good hearts love, right? that apparently there's there's an environment that this is like in the uh if you think about the sort of um 
within specifically medicine and the social sciences. Uh, if you think about the sort of game playing and silliness, which I think was probably higher um, a decade or two ago than it is now, it used to be common to either not write a limitation section or to include a very brief version of a limitation section, like limitations. Uh, I wore an ugly shirt while collecting the data. Everything else is great, finished. Um, and then they would be sort of added back in by negotiation with the reviewers over time while everyone was very well aware what the limitations actually were. So it was something that was essentially resolved by uh, a, a sort of a, a quasi-negotiation rather than all of them being listed in the first place because it was it collectively agreed that if you listed all the limitations and you said what they were, <laughs> then they wouldn't publish the fucking paper in the first place. <laughs> so you had to pretend there weren't any limitations and then sort of uh, play a sort of weird prisoner's dilemma of all the things that didn't happen in the science to the point where you, you've got something that you could all agree would actually be published. And... It's just yet another example of when, like, the games involved in the mechanics of the process are so driven by these weird social norms that have evolved around the competition and the lack of resources and the fact that everything ends up being codified that, I mean, I'd never really thought about that. Like I said last week, I find the limitation section to be the thing that's the most stimulating, is the most fun to talk about. Don't think there's a, um, don't have a particular problem with talking about the limitations of <laughs> stuff that I've done because there's always lots. But it's also like your mind should already, you should already be in front of something that you did. Yeah, of course there's limitations. We think about doing next or why don't I care about this topic anymore because these limitations are insurmountable or what do we always want to get around to if there's, there's someone else who wants to work with me on this? It feels like the, um, it feels like the point where the jumping off begins into something that's better or more sophisticated or more insightful. But. I mean, I don't really have the capacity to be disappointed by this stuff anymore. But the, so the the limitations game uh, was was played for quite some time, and apparently the limitations game is less common now. Um, but what, what according to still who? Exists I, I think it's, in, I think, I think some, it's still there in some capacity. No, no, it's lesser, less so. I think it used to be a more prescribed. Anyway, look, this is I'm taking the implications of two separate conversations and trying to mash them together live. Um, I, you know who you are, presumably, if you're listening. Um, thank, thank you for your kind words. Um, you didn't agree to be named, so I haven't named you, but I'll credit you in the show notes if you write to me and go, hey, that was my candid opinion. <laughs> I have no problem listing six pages worth of authors. <laughs> Holy fuck. This is, I mean, the human, the human capacity to develop nonsense around the center of a real task, it, it really feels infinite a lot of the time. I know there's an awful lot of different people talk about uh, different elements of like management theory and the sort of evolution of human organization and how all these elements fit together and how as a species we solve problems. Um, and presumably there's a wonderful literature out there somewhere on just how badly we manage to fuck things up from time to time just by prescribing the measured elements of it in the first place. 
that which cannot get measured gets managed. Well, that which can get measured ends up with everyone being a mendacious little turd and ruining what they do in order to meet the measurement. Um, I can't remember who said that first one, but I hope their ghost fights Goodhart's ghost <laughs> and the Goodhart's ghost wins. <laughs> you were kind of... Oh, last week when we were talking about limitations and, and word counts came up, you would sort of pro word counts or you weren't totally against it. Do you, do you still stand by that using this kind of example? Um, well, this is... This should be seen in contexts. Yes, as a as a stupid as a stupid decision that is uh, that is that is unnecessary. And they, honestly, if they, you can't resolve the fact that people who wrote something should be identified as writing something, if you can't resolve that by some sort of negotiation, then um, one of the parties is acting in bad faith. It's like a very easy problem to solve. Apparently, this delayed but, publication by a year. Yes. Right. Okay. Of course, it, you just had to make it worse, didn't you? What fun. Mm. Um, let's 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 rephrase that. I may have expressed this poorly last week. I'm not pro word limit. I'm anti waffle. Yeah. I'm 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 strongly against jibber jabber. I am I am anti the full and complete expurgation of all the known facts in context. Um, I, I don't like over-adorned writing. Um, a friend of mine sent me a paper this morning that was on the rise of the rise of basically boostery language um, within scientific communication has just published um, in the Scientometrics Journal, adjectives and adverbs in life sciences across 50 years, implications for emotions and the readability of academic text. And it starts this abstract. I love this first sentence. Writing in simple and clear language is critical for scientific communications. Ooh, look at that. Truth in advertising, huh? <laughs> Previous studies argued that the use of adjectives and adverbs cluttered writing and made scientific text less readable. Present study aims to investigate if articles in the life science have become more cluttered and less readable in the last 50 years in terms of the use of adjectives and adverbs. Um, upward trend in emotion adjectives and adverbs. Non-emotion adjectives and adverbs do not increase. First large-scale diachronic study on the use of etc. So basically, this is measuring in a very coarse way and it has to be a very coarse way because obviously there's hundreds of thousands of papers in a corpus like that it's measuring in a very coarse way the rise of self-promotion waffle and boosterism right now i haven't gone through the paper in great detail where i can say i'm happy with the results but I, you could certainly say that it agrees with my prejudices and my prejudice is, is exactly what we're talking about in this case but you shouldn't just fuck on endlessly once you've actually got to the damn point. No one wants to read all that. It doesn't become automatically more impressive by you adding sheer weight of verbiage to whatever nonsense you're carrying on with. So well, that's a pretty pretty angry qualification of context <laughs> on my part. But you you know you know what I mean, right? Have I mean, let, let me put it this way: Have you ever read an eight thousand word paper that could conceivably have been five and a half thousand? All the time. It's 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 super super common, but look, my, 
I still stand by my point, which I mentioned during the last episode, is that I think the the benefits of allowing authors to have all the words, all the pages they need, whether it's for having your author lists or for explaining your your methods or for explaining your results in a comprehensive way, outweighs papers. If you're submitting a paper which is a waffle, you are shooting yourself in the foot because people are less likely to, to, to read it. It's less likely to be remembered. We often say, oh, the, the, the old papers are, are, are written so well. But I think a part of that, part of the reason that we think old papers are written so well is we're only reading the classics and one of the reasons that the classics is because they're written so well. So, if you're waffling along, let people waffle along. Um, they're only hurting themselves. But if that means that some people can actually take the space that they need to explain their work well or to include the 300 necessary authors, then that's a good thing. Mm. Okay. Not, con- not, 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 not convinced? Mm. Uh, I think it's more, f- I think it's more fair to say that, I mean, this is a bit, I, I, I'm thinking primarily of my own hypocrisy here as someone who's probably spent not several hours on this podcast alone complaining that method sections have been underspecified. Maybe, maybe we could agree <laughs> on a word, on a word count for the fucking discussion no. and introduction section. Some some journals do that. Some journals say <laughs> there is no word limit. There is no word limit for methods, and I think that's great. Some give very strict word limits for introductions or discussions, but they say for methods. You know, tense- I, I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure I've heard that somewhere, sort of. And the thing is. I cannot remember a journal that does that, and that's a little bit shameful. It's almost like I do something else all day. Um, <laughs> journal, j- j- journals shit, are doing what's that. An, what's I, an I, I, Have you got an example? Ah, uh, not off the top of my head. It, uh, from memory, it is one of those journals which has no, the methods okay. at the end. No, it's okay. It's okay. I think I think you're. They do I think it. you're it's right. I think you're all oh, the methods at the end. Oh, that's my favorite. Um, <laughs> I don't mind that. Know, we, People we love, hate that. I, I don't. That. I don't mind. I don't mind methods at the end. I think. I think it's okay. It's there. Just, yes, just but you know your taste. Your taste is questionable, and you smell weird. <laughs> so, what do you want from me? Huh? It's yeah. So, I some, some no journals. Idea how you smell anymore? Some 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 journals. Some journals do allow that to have no word limits for the methods, which which get, gets around this problem. Not necessarily the, the the author problem, but look, it it is it is kind of disappointing. Sometimes I read. There's a couple of journals that I read where you see there's like ten authors and consortia, and the consortia obviously has a hundred authors or whatever. And knowing that, gee, having their name on that journal would be really good for the for these for these people's careers. But um, for some reason, they 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 weren't allowed to include the, these massive massive author lists. And we can do this. Pixels don't cost money. <laughs> we can we can we can do these things. And very few journals are actually printed anymore. So it's crazy. Let them. <laughs> Geez, yeah, we we need an 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 eleven page author list for PNAS with um with a one page abstract results methods. <laughs> Make it happen, Dancer. Come on, buddy. Come on. It's it's very it's very hot, and licorice is very old, and he gets a little bit he gets a little bit peeved in the heat because he's got a fur coat that he can't take off. 
Licorice's name so is Cat for any new listener, by the feels. way. He's not talking about. Uh, <laughs> well, every... No, no. A little girl who very sadly had to give him up for adoption many years ago um, called him Licorice. And then it turns out that I, I think her sister was fatally allergic to him. So he was given up. And then that's how he ended up with me. Didn't you, buddy? The origin story. I found out anything about her, but yeah, I often like to think that if if you know if she knew, I think she'd be very happy that he's here and that he's sixteen now, and that you know he's got a good vet and he's comfortable and he's happy, and he's always been a complete fuck. Right? He's a bastard. He's not a nice cat at all. He's nice to me. He's appall- and he's nice to my wife, and he's appalling to everyone else. <laughs> I mean, recently, like a, like a good Dan, I mean, I know. Yes, I know. This is this is this is cat related content. Um, but the fans want. I took I took him recently. We were we were out of town recently, and I took him to the vet to go to boarding because he has a lot of medical issues and he needs to be taken care of properly. And he was such a turd to the vet that the other day they suggested I get a cat sitter. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> he's like, like, have you ever considered the possibility of, it wasn't like never darken our door again with this fucking cat. It was more, have you ever considered the possibility of um, lines which I read between to imply that. Cat's well, a bastard. No, it takes two of them to medicate him. Um, yes, Shit. yes, the cat is a bastard. Uh, he goes into uh, he goes into the little cat hotel. Other cats walk past him. He hisses at them. He tries to. I mean, he's sixteen. For Christ's sake, he's like a shitty old man. You remember Clint Eastwood in that uh, film Grand Torino? Where I he was do. Just he's just, he's just grimacing the whole. Thing, the grimacing the whole film. Yeah, always always looked like he had a pep- a peptic ulcer that was acting up. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. Gr- but you know he's Clint very well taken. He's very well taken care of. Yeah, and it's we except maybe uh, maybe the talking to a chair part at a national political event. Um, maybe we can <laughs> leave that right. to one side. But well, li- licorice is, certain, is certainly the um. Yeah, I mean, Dan, there's only so long we can talk about word counts before the cat actually sticking his nose in the microphone is going to get some kind of mention. I, I want to finish up by talking about something I don't know much about, which is how do vacations work in the States? It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a mystery to me. I know, at least within Australia, most most people took a bit of time off in January. Here here, here in Europe, most people take the, the entire month of July off. What's the deal with the US? Yes, like- I'm well aware of that, Daniel. As someone who has to do business with people in Europe, I'm well aware of your disgusting socialist <laughs> habits that make my life more difficult. Thanks, Europe. Um, how do how do vacations work here? Well, um, it is to a certain extent it is more similar to Australia than it is to Europe, in the sense that there are there are a wide variety of um, there are a wide variety of long weekends for a variety of reasons. You know, uh, President's Day, specific President's Day. Um, racist on a boat day, um, isn't the tree nice day? Um, I continually forget them and what they are. I mean, I've been here forever, it feels like. Um, but I 
continually flummoxed when something comes up. I think President's Way is the one that gets me the most. It's like, which president, President's Day? So, so that's a public holiday. That? Do I go to work? Do I not? <laughs> yes, it's a public holiday. Um, well, at the same time, elections are on a Tuesday, and that is not a public holiday, which that is blows my mind. fucking asinine. That is the most. It's the stupidest. I mean, how are you? How are you supposed to have time to prepare the barbecue on a Tuesday? I mean, this is. <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous. And you know, even if you're just going to grill a mushroom, actually, I quite like a mushroom burger. Very easy to season mushrooms. They make seasoning very well. Anyway, I digress. Um, the amount of mandated holidays is uh, is usually fairly minimal. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but this changes very widely with uh, jobs and industry. It's a matter of like what's actually guaranteed. Yeah, the actual guarantees are very low, but the employer responses to the guarantees can be all over the map. Now, at the high end, there is a very awkward situation that's called unlimited PTO, which I think uh, rolls into this very carefully. Um, it needs to be very carefully considered. Have you heard of this? Yeah, so basically you okay, can take as much PTO, You can take as much time off as you want. Now, there's a way in which this, of course, is extremely dishonest because this is something that then becomes socially enforced rather than rather than anything else. Yes? You take as much time as you want. You work the two weeks and then have a cheeky three-month break. Like, how the, how the fuck's that supposed to work? It's obviously socially enforced. Bear in mind that take as much time off as you wish to in a state with at-will employment, which basically means they can f- they can fire you because they don't like your shoes, right, is something that ends up being like there is a socially coercive element to, if that's the case, and how much you actually expect it to work. So, when you have a human relationship and these situations are resolved by negotiations between reasonable parties, it's very effective. Now, a lot of people do not have employment like that, which makes it very difficult to manage. Um, so, I think, I think that covers the most of it. Um, substantial amount of mandatory days off for public holidays, shit like that. Um, very few federal and state protections for the amount of uh, like enforced holidays and certainly no social attitude towards summer uh, the same way that they, they have in Europe. Um, and individual employers treating holiday time very, very differently um, up through to and up to, I'm sorry, and including the spectrum of allegedly unlimited time off with pay. The only thing that I'd add to that is the fact that Thanksgiving tears the country completely to pieces in a way that um, Europe is annoying in July, uh, America is annoying in November, mm. because everyone goes home to see their parents, flights very, very expensive and they're all delayed and everything's impossible and then people stay a little bit of extra time and then blah, 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 and then that immediately rolls into the run-up to Christmas. Yeah? So it can be very, very disruptive to getting anything done because I think there's only five or six weeks or something between the Thanksgivings and the Christmas. Um, And what that means is, I mean, this is, you know, and there's a trope here 
about, you know, people going into a store and going, I can't believe you're working Thanksgiving. Well, I can't believe you're shopping Thanksgiving, motherfucker. If you weren't here, I wouldn't need to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so why, why are you asking about this? No, I'm, I'm, I'm just this curious. Is everything hurts topic. This, well, I'm all thinking about thoughts? holidays. We, 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 we already, we, we made the joke before about how the order applies in Europe. Email a European academic in in, in in July, and they'll be like, I'm "Not checking my emails until August." And this is this is this is this is quite common, uh, but it mm. just, it just seems quite different internationally. So I was I was curious as to how it works within the states because um, I was um, yeah, you know, it it's, uh, it certainly is. I got, got an email you know from someone going, "Oh, this is this is urgent. Can you can you respond within two days?" And cl- clearly, you're not in Europe because <laughs> you, you you can't send that in the middle of July, and um and, and expect a response. <laughs> so there's obviously different standards yeah. around the world. Yeah. O- on that note, then we'll we'll <laughs> we'll wrap it up. Thank you for listening. We I think we have this listened- might have been the most focus we've ever lost. Ever. Let's see how this episode does. Yeah, let's see, let's see how it does. But we have we have listened to the listeners who, who requested <laughs> some, who requested some comments on word counts or page counts. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back again very soon with some more hurts. Thank you, fans. Mm. More focused hurts. More focused. More focused hurts. <laughs>